Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On Commons People This Week. The nose to the left, 323. Cheering a pay cap for nurses. The Tories show they really have learnt the lessons of the election. No EU citizen currently in the UK lawfully will be asked to leave at the point the UK leaves the EU. EU citizens can stay in the UK after Brexit. But what's the catch? And a Tory leader at Glastonbury? (laughs) I hope so. All this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett, Ned Simons, Paul War, and back for hopefully one week only, Graham Demonic. Now, hello, Graham. Hello. New listeners to the show won't know who the hell Graham is, but Graham used to work here as uh, a I politics I still work reporter. here. Uh, let me finish. Okay. As a politics reporter, and then he went to New York yeah. like Frank Lampard, like yeah. some fat overweight, lazy footballer, passed his prime, he went there for the money, and he works for our post in America <laughs> yeah. now, don't you? Uh, yeah, yeah. And you're back, and, aren't and you? I'm just as handsome as Frank Lampard as yeah. well. So. But you're back, so basically... I'm back for the week. You're back for the week, and we decided to get you back in just to relive old times. Yeah. There's been some changes. So I heard, you, str- I heard you were struggling no, for... Ri- no, for absolutely not. not. struggling. No, we are on it. <laughs> so what I want for you, Graham, I want pithiness. And there's still okay. no jingle for the quiz. No jingle. There's Nothing no jingle has changed. But I want pithy, I want pithy, analysis. Pith, plenty of pith. So Graham is going to talk to us later on about uh, the view from the States of Jeremy Corbyn, in particular how the New York... Is that unpronounced right? New York? Yeah, they, that's exactly <laughs> how they talk. <laughs> the the yeah, New yeah. York hipsters. I could be in uh, like, Times Square again Yeah. with that. Do you hang around in Times Square? All the time. Traffic on a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. terrible. Okay, anyway, right, move on. Snappy. So uh, this week, uh, it started to pay off, didn't it, the DUP deal? Because the uh, Labour's amendment to the Queen's speech... Um, calling for the pay cap on public sector workers to be abolished was defeated. Uh, the 10 DUP MPs all voted with the Tories to block a move which would have given nurses, police officers and other public sector workers a pay rise above 1%. And this was just days after it was agreed to pump an additional $1.5 billion into Northern Ireland. Here's a clip of Andrew Gwynn from Sky News raising his anger at the Tories voting down this amendment. And you say, where's the funding coming from? Well, I could say, where's the billion pounds for Northern Ireland come from? It's amazing that you find money to grip onto power, but you can't find money for a pay rise for our nurses, our teachers, our police officers and our council workers in England, Scotland and Wales. That's just wrong. So it was defeated on a Wednesday night by 14 votes, uh, 309 MPs backing it, 323 voted against. Uh, now, this is quite funny because part of the DUP's deal with the government was to get to sort of ease austerity in Northern Ireland. And you hear the chance to ease austerity in England, and they said, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah, on, but Paul. don't forget the, the reality of that DUP Tory agreement 
is to effectively give confidence and supply to the government. And confidence means on things like big votes, like the Queen's speech, you know, two parties will be on the same side. And it's not as if the DUP will abstain, they will vote with the government. That's really important. So that means that May gets what she wants, which is she can have a Queen's speech passed and, the, and there'll be absolutely no questions about it. Now, if a Queen's speech falls, that's a major constitutional crisis. So that's why it matters. But also, don't forget, you're right, DUP are actually trying to engineer it so that the government does loosen the purse strings on not only in Northern Ireland, but also on uh, winter fuel payments and pensions and other things like that. And the government has said they're listening. So if you look at that in the real world rather than in the commons world, where you're talking about votes on amendments and this and that, then actually the DUP are helping to ease austerity. The question is just how. We don't know yet. So is there a, how. a short-term, long-term thing? Because the short-term of this, we heard uh, at the top of the show, the intro there, the Tory MPs seeming to cheer when the amendment was defeated, and this was really not bad because it didn't look good. You're cheering and not no. giving public sector workers a pay rise. But we're hearing from people who would have rebelled, like Heidi Allen joining Mercer, saying, Look, the reason why we didn't rebel was because the amendment was too partisan, and we think the government are listening, and we think there's going to be a change. So, actually, are people jumping up and down saying that oh, the government had defeated this? They need to look long term, Ned. Yeah, but I think the problem is that it's that video of Tory MPs cheering, that's what people will see. All the kind of intricate details, like you say about Heidi Allen and other Tories that do have a, you know, a serious point they want to make about maybe the government making concessions, that won't be seen by most voters. It will be Tories cheering, you know, cuts or freezes to public sector workers. That's and that, that's why it was an own goal. That I think the whip should have told their MPs, look, of course they're relieved when you pass a vote, and of course you're relieved, and the temptation is to cheer. But they should have said, actually, when, when this passes, just keep quiet, don't say anything. The time for you to cheer is when you cheer the actual Queen's speech itself, which takes place later today on Thursday. And that's when you cheer, because you're cheering your government's agenda. But you don't cheer the defeat of something that could be seen as a, a slap in the face for firefighters and police. It, feel, it doesn't feel like the, another kind of example of, kind of Tory kind of tone deafness in comparison to uh, Labour Party and, and, and Jeremy Corbyn and his new kind of reaching out to, to parts of the electorate that, that, that other people haven't been a, able to do. It just plays into that kind of out-of-touch narrative and it was a yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty basic own goal by the Tory. Especially when Philip Hammond has been going around the TV studio saying, yeah, we've listened, we're not deaf, we've heard what people want on things like austerity. And then to then, obviously, you're not going to support the amendment, but then to have your MPs cheering its defeat is just kind of under Well, that's the point. I mean, y it's obvious the government weren't going to support a Labour amendment. Of course they won't. And it's obvious that, they're, you know, they're going to whip all their MPs to make sure that they don't either. But you can see all that in advance. It's coming down the track. You know, you it, this is all about the optics, the way it looks. And the way it could have been played out would have been, look, you know, we, we will... Do our vote, but we won't bray about it. And I think that's the problem. It came across as sort of braying, uncaring. And again, it's another example of how there's a lack of leadership at the top from the Prime Minister. You know, a lot of MPs, you know, really didn't know how to react to a lot of things in the Commons. And there's a bigger point, which is after a general election, normally, normally, that's when governments do tough stuff. That's when they do stuff that's unpalatable. After this general election, that's precisely what they can't do because of the result of the general election. She can't suddenly say, no, we're sticking with austerity because that would look like the Tory brand is really, really uncaring and unthinking. So they're going to have to, ahead of the budget, come up with a way around it. And, and we're in different territory. And other things like we saw Justin Greening sneak out this week that the ban on grammar schools was still in place. Which we kind of knew because it wasn't in the Queen's speech. But it was just another example, wasn't it, Ned, that 
the manifesto they got elected on, it's not really worth the yeah. paper that it was written on. And particularly the grammar schools thing, which wasn't just the manifesto, but it was one of the few things Theresa May did after becoming Tory leader. It was kind of her iconic thing. When that was announced, that was very much something she was behind. You know, it was rumours that Justin Greening wasn't particularly on board with it, but it was, that was a Theresa May thing. So ditching it was very much about her and her lack of her authority now. And there's some other amendments that are going to be voted on. I think the Speaker John Berger selected them, one of which is um, Labour MP Stella Creasy's amendment on abortion rights in Northern Ireland. Paul, I know you've been looking into this. Yeah, I mean, this is actually in many ways more of a test and potentially more toxic for the Tory party than anything to do with public sector pay because this will, if it looks likely, that this afternoon that the DUP and the Tories will vote down Stella Creasy's amendment, which is to basically give Northern Ireland women uh, uh, the same rights as other UK nationals <coughs> to have free abortion services in England. It's not about Northern Ireland. It doesn't affect Northern Ireland itself. But it's about uh, you as an EU, uh, as a UK national, what sort of NHS rights you have. Now, if the DUP and the Tories vote that down, as we expect, the real problem there is that all that stuff about the DUP social attitudes and, and them being stuck in the 1950s will really come out in force. Because when people say, look... You know, you've been telling us this agreement, you know, parks all that stuff. It's not really important. But people say, actually, this proves it's important. Again, it's another bit of parliamentary theatre that you just wonder why they walk straight into it. If I were the government, I would have abstained on this and the DUP would have abstained on it. I would have said, right, you know, this this wording has no legal effect. It doesn't force us to do anything. Um, And it is purely that. It's wording. It's strange, isn't it? Because in in, uh, the office earlier on, when... We're kicking this story around about how to write it. Is that your phone there, Graham? Sorry. You yeah, busy? sorry. I got something that's important. Some, someone from the Big Apple, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, someone from the Met. Is that a team? The New York Mets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, and we were talking about, should we, do we call people pro-life or pro-choice? And the fact that we weren't quite sure on the language used shows how this abortion debate is just dead in this country, isn't it? It's just not something really but, that we just debated. But of course it is a, a still an important issue in Northern Ireland. Mm. And I think one thing this DUP has done, it's suddenly forced British political journalists and British political class to pay attention to a part of the country that up until two weeks ago was being completely ignored, particularly on, on social issues like abortion and like gay rights. So I think in a, in a good way, this has actually forced people to pay attention to, to Northern Ireland uh, beyond just um, the, the troubles. And also on Brexit, I remember during the Brexit campaign, a lot of people were saying to me, the big issue here is a Northern Irish-Irish border on Brexit. What happens after that? And no one really took an interest in it. You tried to write about it, no one really bit on it. But now it's one of the big things of Brexit is how you're going to do this border. So, yeah, you're right. That perhaps we should have all... I mean, not. I mean, obviously, I was. I'm yeah, trying to make up. I was over it. You were constantly trying to say to me, "Nick, can I write about this?" You're yeah. like, oh, "That's a bit boring, yeah. isn't it?" Like, do really want to. Absolutely. Is it too easy to read into what this kind of first test means for the the the, the kind of short to medium term um, resilience of this 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 kind of it's not a coalition, but this 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 kind of this kind of pact? Yeah. I mean, Corbyn's uh, talking about you know quipping at Glastonbury that you know he'll be he'll be PM by Christmas to. Um, <laughs> Uh, to Michael Evis, wasn't it? So you know, he, th- th- there is still this sense that this isn't going to last for for much longer. Well, than, I think than, than beyond perhaps the Tory party. Conference. You're right. It is a first test, and in many ways, it's as much a first test for the Tory rebels as it is for the Tory government. Right. And you know, we've talked about this before. This happened under the last government that actually rebelling on tax credits and various things actually got some decent results for some of the Tory rebels when they organised properly. Um, but 
traditionally sometimes they'll they're on Brexit particularly they'll march their troops to the top of the hill and then march them down again and will that happen again on abortion abortion rights today for example you know Stella Creasy says there could be up to 40 Tories who who really are upset about this and won't vote with the government it may be if the government gets its way um, that then you start thinking well actually yeah this DUP deal is is not Teflon but it's actually going to last it might well last the two years if you can get over this initial hurdle Maybe they can, you know, have some confidence. Uh, also this week, we have finally had more detail of the government's offer to EU citizens after Brexit. Here's Theresa May in the Commons just setting out a bit. Today, I want to put that anxiety to rest. I want to completely reassure people that under these plans, no EU citizen currently in the UK lawfully will be asked to leave at the point the UK leaves the EU. We want you to stay. Second, any EU citizen in the UK with five years continuous residence at a specified cut-off date will be granted settled status. They will be treated as if they were UK citizens for healthcare, education, benefits and pensions. While any EU citizens with less than five years residence who have arrived before the specified cut-off date will be able to stay until they have the five years residence to apply for UK settled status. Um, Michelle Barnier, the EU's chief negotiator, sort of said this this deal wasn't ambitious enough, what they're offering. Um, people were writing about it, meaning ID cards for EU citizens. And I wrote a, I wrote a blog saying, I think personally this is all scam, I'm going all massively overhyped. Uh, what do we think about this? Is this a fair deal that they're offering, the EU citizens? Because basically, just to sum up very quickly, if you if you live here now, you're basically, you are allowed to stay here. If you've been here five years, you can get settled status. If you've been there less than five years, you can stay. Until you've been here five years to get settled status, it's a bit bureaucratic um if you come after a certain date to be decided then you'll apply by the new immigration rules also to be decided but effectively other than a bit more bureaucracy the two big changes are that if you leave the country for two years you lose your right to be here it's a big change and also um you lose your right to vote in local elections bizarrely i don't know why they took that out of the, the pot it was a bit odd why, why did they take that out of the pot i don't do know because you know? we, we couldn't work this out it was just like a really weird thing to do because EU citizens currently can vote in local mm. elections, vote in mayoral elections. They can't vote in general elections. And they're taking that vote away from them, which I think is a bizarre thing to do. And also, it makes it look like it, you can then paint it as, well, this is a bad deal because you're kind of removing the democratic mm. right to the people that live here. So that seems to be They're still paying tax. Yeah, Taxation without representation, yeah. But don't forget, what's really driving this is, is Theresa May is worried about what's going to happen to British expats in Europe and lots of them. What, is a million of them live in, yeah. live in Europe? Um, and I'm, I'm sure she's really acutely aware of the way that looks with people who voted leave you know people who voted leave actually you know they want to maintain some of those expat rights and i think that's why at the end of all this when it does come out if if in any way that there's a sense that the the brits abroad could be losing out then i think that will temper everything she does and a lot of people are interpreting this this deal that she announced on on monday as being proof that actually no deal is is totally off the table because under no deal these eu citizens and the british abroad would be left completely in limbo i mean they may well yeah, just have to deal, instantly you know go back to their own country yeah. this doesn't apply this would not no apply deal. and it's so madness. that that gives you a sense of actually how no deal is maybe just a negotiating tactic and not a good one at that but did you not think the coverage is a bit wrong? Because what annoyed me about it was I think there was a lot of scaremongering from some newspapers on this, the ID card thing. 
currently, when I go and apply for a job, or I, I get a job, yeah, I'm not, I don't worry, Paul, I haven't gone for one, or I open a bank account, I rent a car, I've, got, I've, got, yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. got to present that proof. Sounds I'm champagne, a champagne corks popping. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm making a serious point, Graham. This okay. happens on this show now. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I say. All right? But if I have to go and hire a car or start a new job, whatever, I have to produce my passport as proof that I've got the right to do that, but I live here, all this kind of stuff. Sorry, it's not, Graham, imagine you in America, you have to produce documentation, don't you, proving you've got the right to work there. So why should it any, be any different for EU citizens? They've got to produce this bit of paper. It is quite amusing that David Davis is involved in a thing that involves ID cards, though, isn't it, given his... <coughs> I know, I, I get that, but it's not going to be an ID card. It's just proof that you can work. No, seriously, it's just proof that you are allowed to be here. I don't see what the big issue is about this. Graham, sort me out here. You're a man who lives and works abroad. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess Well, I guess so. Your argument is like it's, it's not much different from a, from, a, from a passport, isn't it? Yeah. And But is it... I'm, I'm I'm sure the kind of civil rights campaigners would would argue it's the kind of sin end of the wedge before wedge? before but you know kind of I don't know I'm just going to wave things like Big Brother State <laughs> and 1984 like, and these cliches but then we say to them what would you do instead and they can't give you an answer right right I'm asking you right? I know I know you, 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 <laughs> no, you can have... in, the, in New York right if you've got to produce when you do stuff uh, like do, like go, like go to a um, go to a bar and you're ID'd on a regular basis. No, and not because, like that. Because I'm talking I about like, if you do something like in, a, in engaging in civil society, have you ever hired a car or anything? Yeah. Have you ever hired a car in America? Uh, yes, I have. Right. Yeah. When you did that, did you have to produce? Well, I didn't have an ID card. No, I just, I, I show my passport and, and any other kind of form of form of identification. Yeah, they are, form so, of yeah. So your point has been proven. Has it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all I was, I, 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 what Come struck on, me, Graham. what struck me is this, is, is, was this the opening gambit in, in two years of, two years of talks, and already there's a kind of series of kind of disagreements across the continent, and it's going to be a hell of a thing, isn't it? Trying to yeah. get this, trying to get this, trying to get this. But the EU have been unreasonable here, I think. I do think. Of course, it, I do think Michelle Biden again. All this needs to be more. It's like, what do you want? There's well, a couple of little bits there. You it's can a talk negotiation, about, so both sides will, oh. you know, start with hardline positions and end up compromising. That's, know, that's right. what happens. I know I sound like a right-wing fascist, but you know what? Yeah. Deal with it. Uh, Ned, what are you like at um, predicting future events? <laughs> <laughs> really good. Mystic Can I Ned. read you a message you sent to us all at 4.58pm? <laughs> He's doing this in the podcast? Monday. This is outrageous. This is, he, this is, is this the a quiz? Is this the quiz? This is a is the quiz things Ned's got wrong? Yeah. And this is what he said at 4.58pm. Think Ed Davey about to enter Lib Dem race. I'm not me and my computer, I'm afraid. Five minutes later, oh, he's not running. <laughs> so, can what we, happened then? <laughs> can we play back our election predictions? No. Yeah. Yeah. What, what did you say? What was your majority no, prediction, no, no, Owen? No, 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 I think it was 82. No, no, no. And I think I said so 65. Why isn't, why isn't Ed Davey standing so, for Lib Dem leadership, Ned? Why, why did you get it so wrong? Just, just stand. This is outrageous. Um, a lot happens in five we, minutes. Why prediction, prediction shaming each other? This is disgraceful. Oh, no. what, come on. Why uh, he says it's about his family, basically. He wrote a, a column on Lib Dem Voice. Isn't that what Joe Swinson said as well? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So it kind of leads, it's a Vince Cable coronation. Absolutely. Which is fun. Is it? Is, is Vince Cable really the right man to take Lib Dems forward? I mean, he's the only man to take them forward. <laughs> <But> yeah. <laughs> so, and not whether it's right or wrong. That is true. Um, I mean, to be honest, at the moment, he probably is... I mean, I don't imagine Ed Davey would have excited that many people. I like the way Ed Davey said, at this time. Yeah. So he obviously still wants to keep his options well, open the, for future. The, yeah, and there's this know. idea that Cable will step down before the next election to let someone else come in, which yeah. they deny. 
but that's what the, the suggestion is. I mean, to be fair to Cable, you know, he's got a certain amount of yeah. gravitas and, and it'll get up at PMQs every yeah, week. I, I mean, not every week, as we know. No, he Tim was, he was good at when up. he stood in before against Brown, he was quite good, wasn't he? he delivered yeah. And I think uh, an interesting thing here he's is He's dined off that pop concert joke, though, hasn't he, for, for a number what of years, isn't it? The uh, the millennium the millennium the millennium dome and all we got out of it was a uh, at least we got out, uh, out of that a decent pop concert I can't remember what it is now but it was <laughs> but it was at the it was, time it was memorable it yeah. was memorable and uh, <laughs> it kind of it had cut through which Did um, it? Is right okay is incredibly well, important an actual point is that um, if you look to the SMP in PMQs and their new leader unlike Angus Robertson he was sort of you know wasn't really listened to people were shouting mm. over him Vince Cable I think will be listened to in the despite having only you know, got 12 MPs, mm. if and when he becomes a leader, I think he is someone that will probably punch above the weight of his party yeah. because of who he is, which perhaps Farron wasn't a- always able to do. Yeah. And I don't think Ed Davey would have been able to do either. And more importantly, I think he'll get on the TV, yeah. when he comes on the TV a lot more, then that, that will it will sort of slowly rebuild the Lib Dem brand on the economy and things like that. But and I have to say, you know, in the Commons, let's be honest, it's not every week that the Lib Dems get chosen. No, when they do. And so it is, it's still up to the SNP to actually start scoring some goals. Uh, as I'm sure you've noticed, dear listener, uh, we do not have Kate or Rachel with us today, I but know. Kate uh, interviewed Nikki Morgan, uh, the former Education Secretary. Um, we've released that whole interview as a separate podcast, and it's really interesting. She talks about public sector pay, she talks about cross-party working on Brexit, and she even talks about why the attacks uh, on Corbyn's associations, if you will, with the IRA, just didn't resonate with anyone under 40 during the election campaign. But here's a little clip here of um, when Kate asked her whether he, she would like to see a Conservative leader on the main stage at Glastonbury. Could you ever see a Tory leader on, uh, on stage at Glastonbury? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Um, yeah, I mean, I, whether Glastonbury is the right place, I mean, I think that there is also a thing about knowing, I, I mean, I've never been to Glastonbury, but I think there was some criticism, people saying, oh, do we have to have politics at, at, at Glastonbury? On the other hand, politics matters enormously to everything that we do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I hope that they're on stage there as much as they're on stage at the um, Saga conference. So, uh, Nicky Morgan, I suggest you'll go and listen to that interview because it's really fascinating to hear sort of the view of the, the Tory backbench there. Um, but let's talk about um, Jeremy Corbyn at Glastonbury. Um, I mean, was that a good move? It seemed to be that there was nothing, nothing wrong with that. People were getting a bit annoyed about it. but yeah, I, I think it was good. I think there's this, this kind of suggestion that, oh, there shouldn't be politics at festivals. But that kind of reveals this. You've been to Glastonbury? It's yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. But I think it reveals this this sense that a lot of people have. They think, oh, politics belongs to the Westminster village, and it's that's a thing that we do. It's not fair for it to be, you know, out in the country. Politics is about everyone, so of course, that's where going to be political. It's a massive festival full of young people. You know, music is political, so I don't, there's nothing wrong at music all. Music is political. Oh, Ned, you've set me up for the quiz. Oh, I, can I take oh, it back? We can't oh, back no. it no. This is a this is a Graham Demonic inspired quiz. Oh, yeah. Because Graham's always trying to fit people like politicians into songs, aren't you? Yeah, like Maybe some of your best. Like, well, the, the the famous one now is "Oh Jeremy Corbyn" to uh, uh, White Stripes Seven Nation yeah. Army, right? We all, we all know that. But Jeremy Corbyn to the tune of Eleanor Rigby yeah. by the yeah. Beatles is is the classic. Um, no, no. Any, any, any more? Uh, there's various others. Go onto the uh, HuffPost UK website to... Or go on James Corden's Twitter feed, because he retweeted your story, didn't he? He did. He did. I think he recorded it exceptional. I um, mean, I think, I think. So <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to give you some song lyrics now with actual politicians' names in, and I want you to tell me the artist who wrote Ooh, the song. Okay. Okay, ready? Mr. Reagan says, we will protect you. I don't subscribe to this point of view. 
Ooh. Yeah. So it must be like Mr. Uh, Reagan eight. says, we will protect you. I don't subscribe to his point of view. So the early 80s band. It's not Frankie Goes to Hollywood, is no. it? No. I know tribes. what you're thinking, but it's not that. It's not that, Ned. I, d- I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'm not even going to guess. The replacement. It is uh, Sting, the song Russians. Oh, yes, of course it <laughs> is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I've okay, I right? actually remember that. Uh, yeah. Is, is it on the greatest hits? Isn't it something yeah. like the Russians love people too? Yeah, it's like the Russians love their children too. Yeah, yeah. That was it. terrible song. Uh, but if you think that I'll let Barry Goldwater move in next door and marry my daughter, you must think I'm crazy. I wouldn't let him do it for all the farms in Cuba. <laughs> Barry Goldwater, of course, who stood in the 1964 American yeah. election. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, was it 68? 64, wasn't it? Anyway. But if you think that I'll let Barry Goldwater move in next door and marry my daughter, you must think I'm crazy. I would let him do it for all the farms in Cuba. Who 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 sang that? Uh, it's the sound of three men thinking. Uh, yeah. like, uh, good radio. This is good radio. Good podcasting. Good, good podies. Dylan. Yes, it's Bob Dylan. Ah. I shall be free number ten. I don't know the song, but there we are. Uh, Mr. Lennon awakened the boy, Mr. Stalin, bisexual epoch. Khrushchev, self-love in his mirrors. That's Mr. Lenin, Awaken the Boy, yeah. Mr. Stalin, Bisexual Epoch, Khrushchev, Self-Love in His Mirrors. <laughs> self-Love self in His Mirrors? Yeah. Quite an image. This is, uh, this is a song about a gang rang in the Kremlin, by the way. Right, okay. <laughs> How did you find is this oh, yours? Is this one of yours? No, is this one, one of your songs? Not one of mine. <laughs> okay. It's not one of mine. Pussy Riot. No, but I like the way you're thinking. <laughs> um... Ned's literally the put his head in his hands. I want to say the Stranglers, but no, only because you're, you're close, but you're, no, you're nowhere near. Ned? What? Manic Street Preachers revolt. Of course oh, it is. Right. Of course it's not. Uh, the love of Richard Nixon, death without assassination. Yeah, they all betrayed you. Yeah, and your country too. Is that the Manic Street Preachers? That is. That yeah, is, yeah. yeah. And finally... And he's an excellent Manic Street Preacher. Finally, if you told... No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> don't ask me what I want it for. Ah, Mr. Wilson... If you don't want to pay some more, are Mr. Heath. Oh. Uh, yeah, come on. This is the most isn't there a pri- there's a Prime Minister mentioned in Taxman, isn't there? But this isn't. This is it. Is it? Is that it? it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well done. Done. Yeah, well, so that's the Beatles. Uh, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, good. Okay, good. That was this week's quiz. Yay. Is that all right? Is that all right, everyone? No, that was right. good. Uh, okay. So, uh, right, great. You didn't give it a name, though. Um, that you didn't was say called, X um, or Y, did you? No, because I couldn't. I You're just lame. Busy, busy. Lame. Busy news day. Graham, you're here. How are you, mate? Yeah, very good, thanks. How are you? Seriously, how are you? How are you yeah, doing? yeah, yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah. We had beers last night, didn't we? We had a couple of drinks. Had a couple yeah. of jars, didn't we? Yeah. Who did we bump into last night? We, uh, our one fan. We bumped into <laughs> yes. the listener, James Davis, didn't we? Just, just lurking didn't around. We? You too can be on this podcast uh, and hang outside yeah. the red line. We got a little, a little, a little bit of audio of him, didn't we? Should we play that? Yeah. I, I haven't prepped for this. Um, <laughs> Neither have we. <laughs> Come on, okay. tell us how great we are. Uh, no, I've got nothing. What's your, well, again, too late, too late, you're out. There we are, as unprepared as we are. So that was the listener. So any other listeners out there, yeah. Red Lion on a Wednesday night, <laughs> yeah. pop along. And yeah. we'll, uh, Mind the seafarers. Yeah, you're I don't right. know. The seafarers. <laughs> yeah. 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 So what's it, so go on. New New York. Yeah. What are they making of old Jezza Corbyn? Well, uh, surpri- me. surprisingly, they they seem to be aware of him. And I say when I say they, uh, I'm probably talking about kind of um, New York kind of uh, aware uh, intellectual types rather than kind of farmhands in 
in Texas who probably don't know who Jeremy, Jeremy Corbyn is. But um, in the last couple of weeks, he has appeared on the uh, front page of the New York Times, which is quite remarkable, kind of following the Finsbury Park mm-hmm. um, attacks. And it was, it was striking that it was Jeremy Corbyn used as the image, uh, not Theresa May, given that um, you would think she would have more resonance in, in one of the biggest selling newspapers in the... In, in the country, but um, he seems to be um, causing a kind of fueling a, a, a lot of uh, happy sentiment amongst the kind of left in in the US, and particularly the kind of supporters of kind of Bernie Sanders, the kind of pejoratively called like Bernie Bros, and and because they're also used to not being in power, I guess. Y- well, y- well, y- I, I guess so. Yeah, and Are um, they called Sanders Easters. Wouldn't that be quite good? Yeah. Sanders. Um, the clash. Sorry. And um, and yeah, and, and and it does seem to become a, a bit of a, a bit of a, a, a cult a cult kind of figure over there. Um, the, the phrase, and I didn't really realise this was happening in the UK, and I'm not sure if it was was particularly huge. But this this phrase, the absolute boy, Jeremy yes. Corbyn is the absolute boy. What? Yes. Yeah, who's calling him that? Oh, it's uh, everywhere on Twitter. Oh yeah, he's the absolute boy. But in the in the in the US, there's a uh, a very good um, uh, and unashamedly left wing. Uh, podcast called uh, Chapo's Trap House. All right, don't. Yeah, I <laughs> know oh the cross. I think the crossover will be will be will, will be will be quite small. Um, and they devoted a whole episode uh, following uh, Jez's victory in a, a kind of victory lap to to, to Corbyn. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, this is this is this is similar to the to the to the UK. But but it's seen as showing the campaign. A, the, How many the, times do you have to tell you that, Owen? That's and and this phrase keep come, coming up that, that, that an uncompromising left platform is not is not kind of completely unelectable. So it's giving this sentiment that 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 Bernie, so adding to the the growing sentiment in the US that someone like Bernie Sanders, if he had been nominated as a Democrat candidate, would have would would would, would have won. So it's quite interesting because for a while the American Tea Party movement looked a lot to UKIP in this country as evidence of how you could run a very sort of right wing campaign and it would do well and yeah. they looked at the referendum result and they got involved in that and now it seems it's happening the other way then the the, the left is now looking to britain as well yeah and, and i think the question then is and it, i suppose it's the same for, for both the, the the democrats in the u.s and and and, and labor in, in in the uk i mean it's it's very very different in the uk because the corbyn and the left has pretty much taken over the the labor party right um, the Democrats, n- not so. It's kind of party structures are, I'm, I'm sure, just as fiendishly complex as, as the Labour parties. But there's, but there's, there's been been no inroads, and and the kind of the chairman of the party is still very much from the kind of Clinton uh, kind of wing of the party, the kind of soft soft centre left. So the question is now, um, can there be this kind of this this pr- the, the, the left being propelled in the Democrat in, in Democrat circles, and then that being the kind of pitch in 2020. But I think regardless of whether it's a, a another kind of Hillary Clinton-style candidate, she's going to have to take some of this kind of leftiness and, and kind of adopt it into, into, into their platform. It just seems that another example of globally of the kind of, maybe the kind of shift, shift, not even the shift left, but a shift to something something different, a kind of an appetite. It's more sort of grassroots campaigning kind of feel, yeah. isn't it? I guess. And there's one of the points that these guys make that I thought I thought was was was, was incredibly striking in, in in the podcast is the kind of age of these of both Sanders and um, Corbyn, that kind of guys in their kind of late late sixties. I think Sanders might even be seventy now. It's like 
they have credibility amongst particularly kind of young people. That's where they're, they're, they're getting young people who have been disenfranchised, not voting, voting again. It's like they've kind of sat out the kind of big, di they've been in politics, but they've kind of not gone with a consensus on big things like, uh, like wars, like the economic kind of narrative, the kind of, you know, the, the, the neoliberal agenda, if you want to use the kind of um, favoured kind of term on, on, on Twitter. And, it, and, and it's interesting, that's kind of where their, where their credibility seems but to come there's from. There's also a, a parallel, isn't there, in that I think as with Trump, um, the, there is going to be at some point a white working class or a working class vote sense of betrayal if yeah. he doesn't deliver what they want, if he doesn't give them coal mine jobs, if he doesn't give them car jobs, if he doesn't roll back lots of things he said he would roll back, um, there'll be a sense of uh, Trump betrayal, just as it will be here, a sense of Brexit betrayal, if the Tories don't deliver on a lot of things like immigration. And that's where it gets interesting for the left. Can those grassroots populist movements harness those working class movements? That's great, Graham. Thanks so much for coming on, mate. When are you going back to New York? I'll be back fly flying back on Sunday. Flying so back on Sunday, yeah. We'll try and get you on normally. Yeah, Maybe. yeah. We'll see how this goes. Yeah. If the big if flops then then go down, then you're yeah. out of it. Uh, thanks so much, guys, and uh, tune in next week for more Commons People. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.